Byron Pace. I'm the other one, Daryl Pace. It is very windy today. Yeah, we're getting the tail end to our North American uh, listeners who have been smashed by a hurricane in the last couple of days. We're getting the arse end of your hurricane now. But, but the, th- the thing is, now, we watched the news. In fact, it was hilarious with the, I don't know if anyone else has seen, type in, <laughs> I know uh, what you're type in weatherman, uh, uh, like weatherman exaggerating wind on YouTube. It's hilarious. This guy is like, ridiculous he's, thing he's I've like, ever seen. you know, pretending that it's a way to blow him over, holding onto a lamppost kind of thing. And then the two guys just stroll past in him shorts. in shorts, <laughs> shorts and t-shirts strolling past. Um, but um, the, the thing is, is you, you see these winds on the hurricanes and don't be wrong, I'm not taking anything away from the seriousness of what actually does happen with the, the rising uh, water and the flooding and everything, because that, that is terrible. But it's when they talk about the winds of like 90 mile an hour winds or 110 mile an hour winds, that's just a normal day on some of our hills. And sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. And and nothing gets moved. Like we, we, we make our stuff out of stone for a reason. <laughs> so, so it doesn't blow over. I don't know. Maybe it houses in the States. They, they, they seem to be there's all a, made out of wood. Quite wooden, yeah, a lot, quite quite a lot wood. of light wooden construction. But it has been pretty, from the, the, the stuff I've seen on the news, it's been pretty bad. Not just in America, but also the Philippines. And, no, and they've uh, lost China. a lot of houses there. Oof. Yeah, it's uh, it has been a, a pretty serious uh, storm, but I, th- I think it is season now, isn't it? It's like storm, yeah, coming storm, storm season, so. monsoon season. Yeah, well, Daryl did rush out of the office earlier today as the the top. We were like in the upstairs of a garage where our offices, and uh, the whole building was shaking a little bit with the wind. <laughs> and he did rush outside very quickly to see if his beehives were still upright. Yeah, no, they're like in a sheltered part of the garden, so I wasn't too concerned. They've got rocks on top of them, uh, but. I know that you know. Typically, I'm probably going to strap them down for winter. But I went to see because it's probably I don't know what four fifty mile now. Oh, gusts, I maybe? think the gusts probably more yeah, than that. Maybe yeah. a bit more right now. And uh, I was just rushing out to see if I needed to put a strap on them. But they are strategically put the beehives where uh, they are kind of covered on three sides. So they're they're pretty they're pretty sheltered. But and the bees, I didn't see a single bee coming out I'm not today. Surprised. <laughs> I don't think a bee no, could fly. In I think if a bee came out of the hive, it would be like a drone in this weather. It would just disappear, and you'd never see him again. Her we've, again. <laughs> we, we've had a bit of rain, but not much. I've been watching. I've had the the SEPA water height on one of the tabs on my computer all day, and it updates like every three hours. So when I got into the office, I looked at it at twelve o'clock. Looked at it to see if it was moving at all and despite all the rain that we've had the river has not really done very much here although i believe the west coast and north they've had freaking awesome conditions and yeah. we we had great water last even week. though it has rained you know the pond hasn't even gone up that much no. so i i think we actually haven't had as much as it sounded like on the windows so i'm very disappointed by that but i'm still going to go and cast the line uh with eden after work now it, it's come up like um what is it, 35 centimeters hmm. The 30, 35 no, centimeters. Sorry. No, no, I must have looked at the scale wrong. Oh, three and a half inches. <laughs> sorry, it, was three, it's come, it did come up three and a half inches, but it's dropped back down again. It might be enough to just get a few fish through. I yeah. hope so. Yeah. I did get salmon last week, though. 
Yeah, you did. We were fishing up at uh, up at Glen Morrison, up at Loch Ness side, and I got my. I haven't done a lot of salmon fishing this year. Maybe like three days, and two of them there was no water in the river. So it's the first time this year with proper water in the river, and out of three days I got one salmon. And I caught my first ever trout on fly rod uh, the week before, and I caught... That was on the Don? That was on the Don, and then I caught about five or six pike, uh, not on the fly rod. Uh, but we were trying on the fly rod for the pike as well, but they just weren't weren't going and for it. Boy, oh boy, did our cousin get a cracking brown trout. He was fishing for salmon, same <laughs> yeah. river, uh, slightly different place to where I got my salmon, further downstream. And uh, he was bringing up a fly underneath the trees, and he got smashed by this brown trout, and it was probably just short. We didn't... It, we're classing it as a land because we it had came a, off we had, we, we had a few. We had a few because I caught um, a big pike, yeah. and it was it was within distance to put in the net. Yeah, but uh, and, it, and it got off. But I mean, it didn't it didn't matter. And it was a decent size, but it didn't matter anyway because I was I was putting that one back. But but his um, trout was probably about three pounds. Yeah, That's good brown trout. Oh, that is cool. Uh, should we move on to the prizes now? Yes. Yeah, so we have a winner from our competition two weeks ago, which was to win a Hornady reloading mug. And we had a lot of entries. Reloading with Rosie. Yeah, well, it's a Hornady reloading mug, but it's a reloading reloading with with Rosie Rosie mug. Um, Tons of entries. And we have a winner. John Bailey. Well done, John. Now, John Bailey has just... I'm not sure whether it was a revamp or a new uh, shooting store that he just opened. Yeah, I think he said new shooting shooting store. So I think it's Bailey's Shooting Supplies, I think. So Um, so down, uh, Down south, over the wall. So congratulations, John, and we are expecting a picture of your Reloading with Rosie mug in your new shop. We'll even throw in some podcast stickers to put in the new shop. And one in your window would yeah, be one, very One in cool. your window, there we go. <laughs> so that's it, congrats. And we got a new competition. We do, we do. And the new competition is for, we do get some very random prizes. You're going to love it. It's for a, a front door mat or a, a door mat for anywhere in your house. It doesn't have to be the front door. Um, and is it a CZ one? It is. CZ yeah. rifles. It, I mean, it depends. Your wife or your partner might not want you to have a big CZ Maybe front not door on the mat, front door. But maybe in your shooting room or, or, your garage, boot, door? or garage door or boot room or, or the dog room or something like that. Yeah. But potentially. Or, or you could just have it in your front door. <laughs> You could do, it. and if could you be a do, talking point. I, I'm looking forward to the picture of the location of whoever wins it in two weeks' time. <laughs> yeah, we actually have a few of these. Yeah, we, we've yeah, got maybe half a dozen, half of them. a dozen of these uh, front door mat kind so of things. So in the next year, there's going to be a few more to give away. Um, I think I need to kind of keep one for myself because we have. I got two CZs. I got a one seven HMR and a two two. <laughs> So really, we need one for the office, I think. Well, you can you can keep one or two for when your dog eats the front door mat. I went through um, three front door mats at my parents' place when they looked after my dog. I don't know why he went through this phase of eating door mats. And uh, for some reason, it was always the really expensive ones that had a picture of a stag on it. And it, that dog cost me £120 in, in front door mats. It was ridic- I actually eventually stopped buying one. Didn't buy one for a few months, and then he just must have matured, and I bought this the heaviest I, duty one. I did one. notice that it's like a big, oh, heavy it, Like It's actually heavy to pick up yourself, and he has not touched it since, but also put chili powder on it. So he's did not, you? Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's the solution <laughs> to anything with, uh, with a dog. <laughs> if he's chewing it, put lemon or chili powder on it, they don't do it again. So if you want to win the CZ doormat, which I know you do, 
then you're going to want to know how to enter. So we're going to make it, I can actually hear our dogs barking behind us. Uh, the puppy is not in the office. You will hear him in this podcast yes, you do. trying to rip our headsets off. Uh, but we're going to make it dog related because most of you have a dog of some description. So we just want to see a picture of your dog out and about. Yep. yep. It can we, be hunting. It can be walking. Be doing, can anything, be doing anything, anything. Keeping you want. company in the car. Yeah, working with you. That would be cool. Any Anything a- anything to do with dogs, that'll be good. So look out for the social media post. On um, Instagram, Facebook. Yep. And if Put you, your picture below. And if you don't have either of those, then just email us a picture of your, your pal. Uh, podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. And, and we will select, we will the, select the, the best picture. That'll be cool. Oh, and also we're going to give away some more uh, podcast stickers. Mm-hmm. And it is going to be to, if you are beating or picking up this season. You realize how many people are probably going to There's going to be this. a lot of people writing in. Uh, because also that will include a lot of gamekeepers end up doing that. Basically well. includes everybody. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, we're trying to we're trying to be inclusive, trying to find different people. So yeah, if you're beating or picking up first ten I, people, I think yeah, yeah, we won't do because we could uh, be giving could away be hundreds. hundreds. Because last time when we said people in America within thirty minutes of the show going up, we'd given away like maybe twenty yeah. um, within thirty minutes of the show going up. So yeah, first yeah, we, we, we won't put an exact number on it, but it's probably going to be about ten first. or fifteen. Yeah. So if you want one, then yeah, just get there contact first. us somehow. Yeah. Preferably we'll some evidence as well. Yeah, evidence would be good. Evidence would be good. A picture of In you fact, doing it. In fact, because I think this is going to be so popular, <laughs> I think we're going to need evidence. Yeah, yeah, evidence need a- that you're a beater or a picker up. And we're going to exclude gamekeepers, I think. Because we've already done, like, like if you were a gamekeeper, then... Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so if, so you, if you don't do it necessarily as a full... Well, I guess some, some pickers up, do it, but some do as, A lot as do it, but are not gamekeepers. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so if you're a beater or picker up. Peter pick up. There we go. That's the rules. So we have um, a great guest on the podcast this week, a guest that you have heard from before, Ulrich Orskov. He is a veterinary student, soon to be a qualified vet, actually, because he's not far away now from qualifying next year. Uh, an avid and utterly mad hunter who has hunted all around the world. And he also won the... Uh, he won two categories at this year's DNA Film Festival in May this year. Yes, he did, yeah. He won the amateur category, and he also won the top prize for the MOTV Emerging Film Talent Bursary, which was cash prize of £5,000. And for his amateur category, he was handed a Minox, like a top-end scope and a pair of binoculars. Yeah, very cool. It's the kind of prize that I wish I'd, uh, <laughs> I know. I'd won. So uh, we, we, we talked to him a little bit about that. Yeah, See what, we do, what yeah. kind of a, a difference that's made to him, what the evening was like, uh, and then we go on to talk about his recent adventures in Zambia. And his um, dissertation. Yeah, and really super interesting stuff that he's doing for his dissertation. If you're into s- s- stalking or you like deer, you're going to be fascinated by it. Yeah, uh, and we we he is in Denmark when we're recording this, so apologies if there's any... Um, Interruptions. interruptions or um, the audio. I think it's pretty good. Though, yeah, it? it is. It is pretty good. But um, just, just to, if you're wondering why it doesn't sound the same, he's not. We, we're trying to do them more and more where we're in the same room as the person. But yeah, it's a long way from Denmark to Scotland for an hour's podcast. So it is. <laughs> we it thought is. it was a little in the future, bit of a big maybe call. in the future. Yeah. Um, now I just wanted to give a little bit of information to people 
um, it's actually quite relevant to this podcast because Ulrich asks me about my recent trip to New Zealand and just by pure coincidence this information has come out in literally the last couple of days. Uh, the New Zealand government have released a plan through the Department of Conservation to essentially do a mass cull of tar across the entire country. Uh, there's a lot of information washing around online about it. I'm going to stick up a whole heap of information from the Department of Conservation, from uh, some of the associations, um, one of the tar, the tar Foundation, their um, sort of deer, the equivalent of the New Zealand Deer Management Group, all who have put out statements about the government's plan and what the potential impact is going to be. So I will let you read through all that, and I'm hoping uh, very, very soon we're going to get somebody on to talk about it from New Zealand. We're in the process of getting that out right now, and it might very well be a short podcast that goes out uh, within the next two weeks. And the reason for that is that everybody has been given basically 12 days to respond to this. Um, it's not even really a consultation to this government statement that they're going to start having this mass cull plan. 12 days. That's that's how long they've been given. They estimate the population of around, and the, these numbers are not particularly ac uh, accurate, and the government say that themselves, but they're estimating the population at around 30-odd thousand. And essentially, what they want to do is be left with five. They want to cull almost 20,000 in the next few months. They've already killed 3,000 3, in the Mount Cook range. Yep, where I was, yep. where I did some of the filming and photography uh, recently for, for the trip. That's, that's 3, insane. Three, that's like you try and get your head around that mass slaughter. It, it, yeah, it's, it's complex. It is complex. The tar do cause habitat issues in places. But the concern is here that the tar as a species have been given zero value by the government and seen only entirely as a pest with no benefit to the people of New Zealand. And clearly zero consideration to the standing of tar globally as a species. Now, I, I touched on this in the podcast that I did with Curran, uh, if you go back and have a listen to that, we talk a little bit about tar and where they fit in a global context because the IUCN actually has them registered as an, uh, as threatened within their native range, but the population in New Zealand does very well. And we also talk about it at some length in the podcast that I recorded in New Zealand with Joseph Peters, who I was there uh, with for the, the longest period of time. So go back and check out those two podcasts if you want to have a slightly more of an overview of what's going on there. But that those two podcasts were recorded um, two months before this recent information has come up by the government, but we do talk about it. And in fact, and this is kind of preemptive to the statement that came out two days ago, I have an article about that trip and about tar and management in the next issue of Modern Huntsman, which is going to be out, I think, sometime in October. Which is going to be too late for this being implemented, but you know that that's coming. That it shows you that it was in people's minds even long before uh, the government have taken yeah, this stance. Yeah. So I urge you to go and read about it. Make your own call. Read the information. Take the time. Even if you never plan to go to New Zealand, it's 
it's a kind of a dangerous precedent to be set to be set by any government. Uh, and in the the information that uh, some of the organisations have put out, they've also given a whole heap of email addresses that you can. Uh, we'll share some stuff. So yeah, people send can send, send um, to these email addresses your concerns as an international hunter. Yeah, they're saying that could be the end, the end of tar hunting in New Zealand from a sort of commercial basis. Yeah, it's kind of insane that they that they haven't really put any monetary value on on them. They don't care. No, they don't. So yeah, that um, that was about all I wanted to to say on that. Um, and hopefully, we'll be hearing from somebody who knows a lot more about it than I do, who's actually on the ground very very soon. Yeah, I am off to Norway next week. Fly out on Monday, come back the the following Sunday, and uh, be after some moose and grouse. You're gonna hopefully get to hunt grouse. Uh, is it? Actually, grouse or is it ptarmigan you're hunting? I th- I think it's grouse. Yeah, grouse. Uh, hopefully, I'll actually get to pull the trigger on the, the grouse, but I should be in the, the hills um, most of the week. And uh, I am is sure... It opening day of moose season? Yeah, so the day that, hey, I'm, the day that I, I'm there, so I think it's... So basically, I have one day to get to where I need to be. Uh, for the opening day. For the opening day, which is fine because it's not too far away. It's at Lisa's parents' place in the, the the mountains. And then I imagine the opening day, everyone will be out. So, yeah, that's going to be really well, cool. we were actually driving back through Norway on opening day About three this, years this ago. About this time three years ago. And the crazy, every 30 minutes or so, we would drive another 30 minutes further on and we would go past a big group of hunters waiting to go into the forest. Yeah. I've never crazy. seen anything like yeah. it. So, they, yeah, I, I've never been on a moose hunt before. I'm not pulling the trigger. I'm just documenting it. So that's going to be it's going to be interesting. That. Yeah. And a, new, a new life experience for you. It is. And I know that I'm going to be fed extraordinarily well when, while I'm there. So the food is always good. Well, when, I'm expecting an update. I'm going to have to do a podcast with you about your experience when you come back. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, because I, I, I know what goes on. I've, I've, re- I've on read about it, but I've never, I've never been on one, so it's going to be a totally new experience. And also the, the whole um, aspect of so many people being involved in. How many in, days hunting? I, I don't know. I guess they keep going out until their tags are are Total done. Four. So hopefully before you come back, somebody very, will get a moose on the ground. But it's very specific. Remember, it's it's like a three-year-old yeah. this. So it could be two days before you get one. That's exciting. Yeah, can't wait to see the pictures. Yeah, that's gonna be. I hope and, the weather's good for you. I'm I'm praying that this will be this will be the storm and then they don't have any snow, do they? No, no snow. No. So I I did ask that question, but it's a bit early still for snow. And then we're the following week off to Ireland. Is it the following week? So like there's a week and then yeah. uh, to well, Ireland. Well, there you go. And currently, we, we're busy doing some bits and pieces of work, but it's literally a stone's throw from the office. <laughs> yeah. We've been out. Uh, it's I've done it before, but it's it's still magical. It doesn't matter how many times I do it. And that is grouse over pointers. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely. So good. It has to be one of the best ways to hunt red grouse. I, I'm a fan. Yeah. I, I'm sold on the concept. I'm also sold on the, the relaxed yeah. style of it. Uh, it just feels like a lot less pressure yeah, on on the day. So we we were on uh, on Ganachy Estate, which is just up Glenask. I wasn't pulling the trigger on this. No, no, no well, I, ne- neither we, of us. We were. just watch it. <laughs> we're just observers. We're making that statement, not actually hunting ourselves, but just being part of the day and taking photos and a bit of film. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they they run a beautiful day, and like Daryl says, it's so chilled out. 
and everyone takes everyone takes their turn to go behind the dog, wait for it to point, move in, flush. It's just burst, having, take having the all shot. those dogs working as well. You know, there's there's maybe six, seven dogs with one pointer working at a time, and they're swapping over the dogs all the time because it's it's hard going for them. And uh, it's just great seeing those dogs work and the spaniels. They've got some of, well-trained dogs. Oh, I mean, I, the the spaniels. I was so impressed with them. They're just, you know, they the furthest they go is a meter away, and they're con- they're not even looking where they're going. They're just looking back at at the, at the boss. Do you know? I actually asked Colin, who was one of the gamekeepers there, who was doing m- most of the working of the dogs. I said, when when my pup gets a bit older and I get to the point of you know actually doing some serious training, I said, I think I'm going to have to come to you, Colin, for some advice. And he said, I mean, he was kind of half joking, but it, it, there's a serious element to it. He said, most of it's just about being consistent, like being consistent with the dog about what you expect from it. Yeah. Um, but I'm still going to go and see him for some advice <laughs> yeah. because his dogs are fantastic. No, they're, they're fantastic dogs. In fact, there was a, well, there's been a couple of pictures of his dogs up on Instagram. Yes, they have, yeah. Yeah, the whole the picture which is a few pictures back now was put up I think last week and there's some uh, golden labs and some spaniels all sitting in the heather those are his dogs those are, yeah they are all his dogs and they'd been sat there when I took that picture they'd been sat there probably for about 20 minutes because we were having lunch and apart from sort of Getting standing up, up to like to a find a, yeah, yeah. a comfy spot they didn't move at all yeah no that's very impressive very impressive and with all that said I think we're done we are done. In- Time for you to listen from to listen to Ulrich. It is. Enjoy the show, and we will speak to you again later on. Well, hopefully, uh, well, I won't have to interrupt you while we're doing this podcast. But there is a little puppy in the office, and mm. sometimes he causes trouble. And he has been sleeping for the last hour, so <laughs> it's very oh, possible. That sounds like me. I had an I had an F two. I had the. Uh- <laughs> My daily, I just finished my daily nap routine. So now now you're about to start causing trouble. I'm about to, yeah, I'm just going to keep talking and talking. And, yeah. Do you do you, no. do you actually have a daily nap, middle of the day routine? Mm, I do. I do, and it's pretty good. Is that because I'm you're studying of, um, late? No, not really. I <laughs> wish that was the reason. No, it's, um, I think it, I think I started after. I think it was actually through hunting that it actually came to came to work like that because you know when you get up in the morning and you and you get out and sort of you have your lunch midday find a good place to sit in class and and you know you you sort of when you eat your your dinner you 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 get pretty mellow and and you want to stay sharp so it was just you know pretty good it was like pretty normal to me to just lean back and take a nap and then uh, wake up and be fresh so it's sort of. Uh, <laughs> It's sort of the same thing I'm doing now. I have so. to say, I do really rather enjoy taking a little nap at some point during the day, lying in the long grass, be it fishing, hunting. Yeah. In fact, I did it just last week. We, oh. we were we were away fishing up north. It gives the ticks, oh, yeah? ticks a good chance to <coughs> climb on you. Yeah, it does, and other creepy crawlers. Oh. <laughs> but apart from that, it is rather enjoyable. Yeah. Well, you yeah, are... No, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I was just going to say you are back on you are back on the podcast for the second time. So welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm keen. Good. That's that's what we want to hear. And thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, last time we were all together, it was May this year. It was yeah. the Northern Shooting Show, and you'd come all the way over from Denmark for uh, the film festival and then. Uh, the weekend of the Northern Shooting Show, so uh, that is 
I think, a pretty good place to start because it was such a hectic weekend that we didn't actually get a chance to podcast with you to talk about the film festival, your film, winning the prize. We gave well, our regular listeners will know that you won because we we gave all the we read out all the names of the winners. But what was that Friday night like for you? It was uh, well, it was pretty crazy because it was was it a Friday night? I it was remember, a Friday but, night. <laughs> yeah, every day was like a weekend day to me that weekend. Um, no, it was a really good night. Um, it came to, to like a big surprise to me that um, <laughs> that I won the uh, the 5K prize, and it really meant a lot to me because you know, um, yeah, just because of all the filming that I've been doing, and you know, you've it's done sort a of, lot. Like over the last few years, you've of, created a lot of content. I haven't edited a lot. I haven't. I haven't put out that much content as in comparison to how much that I've actually filmed. So. It's uh, no, it was a good, good film that I had made, and um, it was an intense hunt. And so, I'm just happy that you know to get. I don't know. You know I suppose a bit of. Um, it's nice that people appreciate, and that people can actually get something out of what I've been doing because mostly it's been for my own, you know, for my own sake of filming. But I'm I'm happy that other people can can gain something from from my hunts, you know. Sort of, um, yeah. yeah, and the prize that you won was the uh, well, you won two prizes actually, didn't mm. you? Yeah, I'm not sure, I should yeah, really know yeah. considering that we were presenting <laughs> them, but uh, yeah, so you won the, the, the best amateur, but then uh, which was uh, what did you, you pick up? You picked up a Minox scope and yeah. uh, Minox pair yeah, of binos, yeah. and then the MOTV prize, which was the cash prizes for aspiring filmmakers, and you won. You won the top level prize, which was, as you said, five grand. We have we've had Simon Whitehead on the Daryl's wrestling with the puppy right now. I was right. He's wrapping wrapping himself around the the podcasting um, cables. Uh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Dear me, Torin, I really wish you'd go back to sleep. He's been sleeping all day. (laughs) That's the problem. That's the problem. Um, We we had uh, Simon Whitehead on. The podcast in the weeks after he won and he was explaining what that kind of cash injection was going to enable him to do as a filmmaker mm-hmm. you know as an aspiring filmmaker for yeah. you what kind of difference does does that make because you know, receiving money is always nice but in this kind of world that we work in and, and live in in the outdoor space particularly in the hunting space in filmmaking it's not easy no nah. No, it's a it's a tight budget when you're trying to you know when you're traveling and when you when you're studying and when you want to spend money on something else as well. But I mean, I'm working on the side as well. But I mean, five five k's of um, of British pounds is is, a, is quite a big price, and and so it's going to mean a lot to me. And uh, it's going to mean that I'm going to be able to just well keep doing keep doing what I've been doing, and um, just make it easier that way. And invest in probably I'll be investing in a couple lenses or maybe just one lens maybe a new DSLR camera as well I didn't manage to get one before I went to Africa just now but um yeah because I know we were talking about it weren't we uh, you, you were asking about cameras and stuff and mm. all the stuff that you'd yeah. filmed prior was on like a little handycam wasn't it yeah it was yeah mostly but yeah I've, I've got some good fill-in footage now with my uh, DSLR camera now and so that's that's pretty neat and uh, it's just going to take a lot of time editing, so 
But um, hey, I'm keen to I'm keen to get into it, and I've already started with with sort of a trailer thing, and um, yeah, I've got some epic epic drone footage from there. I'm yeah, I'm really keen to to put that out. So no, I'm loving it. So good. No, no well. it's been really good. And thank you so much. It was a uh, it was a crazy weekend. It, it was that. It was that. It was I think. pretty hectic. You're right. It, it was. Uh, I mean, the northern shows, the shooting show, is always a really busy show for us. But uh, the film festival on the Friday night and everybody there, and then we had that big dinner with everyone around the table, which was uh, which was really great to have everybody in the same room, like a smaller group of people uh, who were at the film festival, all enjoying dinner and just talking shit together. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you, if people uh, remember from your previous uh, guest slot on the podcast, they will recall that you are a student vet who was also a hunter. Now, you're getting towards the end of your veterinary studies. You're writing your thesis right now, aren't you? Yep, I'm finishing in February. How's that going? I should be, February, March. No, going pretty good. I'm, I'm reading up on a lot of... Um, what do you call it? Background background studies or background knowledge on on ruminants and the physiology. And we're writing on um, the microbiota of rhodia. So the yeah the, the the contents of the or the bacterial composition in the stomach and the I think it's going to be the the large intestine of the rhodia. And um, so we're going to look at the composition and we're going to look at what what they how they change. And especially how they change in when you feed them grain. So that's a tendency that we do in, I don't know how many countries that do it, but I think it's quite widespread um, to feed the roe deer, especially during the winter time um, with grain. And so we're going to see how it affects the stomach and the composition of bacteria. That's interesting because yeah. it is very interesting. Well, he- here, we don't deliberately feed them grain but they eat a lot of grain during the winter months because a lot of grain being put out for pheasants and partridges and mm. roe deer inherently always hammer the feeders yeah. and uh, you just take a while a bit of a free feed for them but you might harvest some from some roe deer during the season but how are you doing those tests i'm curious to know how you're actually sampling that so the samples have already been done and they were all sampled in january so after hunts so planned hunts were taking place and veterinarians were there to take the samples and so it's just straight after the kill, they go in and take a sample, take the stomach out, the intestine out, and freeze it down on, on liquid nitrogen. And so we've got them, we've got the samples now, all the stomachs. We've got 80 rhodia stomachs right now in, in the cooler, in the freezer, um, waiting for us to do some more. Like all the bacterial samples of the fluids and that have been taken, but we need to do some mic- microscopy as well on the papilla of the rumen. So they've got a lining on the inside of the rumen to sort of... Um, absorb the the nutrients from from what they're fermenting in the stomach and so we're going to look at to see if these papillas sort of if they shrink um or what happens when they when they're feeding on grain because we've got a control group from like an island in denmark where they don't have any um grain feeding so we're gonna yeah see see if there's any um change in that and we're gonna see also because we've had on an island here in denmark funan we've had a lot of rhodia die and it's been so weird because usually when you have a population that dies out it sort of bounces back up after like say five years if it's like a virus or something that kicks in but but this it took like five years and it decimated heavily but then the past 10 years since the heavy decimation it's just kept going down at a slower rate but it keeps just going down and it just baffles everyone 
looking at these numbers and um yeah so it's uh it's a pretty everyone's talking about it and uh what are we going to do about it and this and that so we might even be able to actually see something from the stomach of these rhodia from funin to be able to see if they've got a different composition of bacteria in the stomach which could be pretty interesting wow so um yeah oh, it's it fascinating. Pretty, do, you, do you have any kind of expect uh, this is probably an not the thing you would do as a scientist, but do you have uh, any expectation of what you might find? Is there any previous evidence to do with grain-fed rhodia? Uh, I mean, you know, people, it's it's common knowledge that, that feeding grain, especially in if you only feed in a few places, that, that grain will, will be, that like making, making a feed plot will actually... It's like a ground for, for spreading disease as well between the in between the rodeo because the disease rodeo and the weak rodeo will go and carry diseases to the feedlot as well. And, and yeah. that's a... It's a so like a si- single point, route. isn't it? High density of eating. It is, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's, a, that's one negative point for it. Another negative point is that the stomach is not really meant to be digesting grain. It's not meant to be digesting that. So... The way you have to do it is sort of you have to start feeding them earlier in the summer, and then you go into and because the stomach gets used to this um, to these acids. What it does, it it'll, it lowers the pH, and so you get a very acidous environment, and it can ruin the stomach lining, and you'll get bacteria going into the bloodstream, and they'll actually die, um, yeah, from from acidosis and and getting bacteria in the bloodstream. Um, like yeah, they can, if you feed in the winter time. And they'll go, they'll go into the grain, and they'll eat like a handful, two handfuls, and they'll die the next day from it. So I, I, I really didn't know that. That's that's, uh, that's not something I was expecting no. to learn today. <laughs> that wasn't where I thought no. the podcast was going to go, but I am sure everybody's going to learn something from that. I mean, I've seen yeah. it before with uh, when when roe deer just hone in on one particular food source, they can get mm. pretty ill. I've seen it with uh, oilseed rape. Uh, just the, mm. the rape leaves, just as they come up, especially if you get a covering of snow, yep. and they manage to yep. clear that, or when it, it's the weather's just getting a bit harder, and they're either eating that or or neeps, um, turnips, and they yep. can really start to scat bad if they're if mm. they're eating that and just gorging themselves on it. Yep. Now it'll it'll happen as well in the, in the springtime. You know, when you get the fresh spring growth, if it happens all of a sudden, if you've got the seasonal change all of a sudden. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they'll be running around with diarrhea for, for two, three weeks maybe or, yeah, before the stomach gets used to it. So, yeah. So, no, it's going to be interesting well, to see what happens. And, um, yeah. I, I'd appreciate it uh, once you – and I'm sure our listeners would as well – once you finish all of your research, if you can fire that all over to us or, or better still come on the podcast again and tell us the results because I think people will be fascinated to know. Yes, no doubt I will. And they're actually talking about now because they're so baffled about – what's going on like they've done heaps of studies on these deceased animals the only clinical signs is that they have this massive diarrhea and they're just uh like really skinny and poor condition um and then nothing else like pathology just doesn't really show up on anything so um and the reproduction keeps going like that they they've done the studies on that as well so they they keep getting the fawns out but then or somehow They'll, the fawns disappear like they die off for some for some reason so they've now been talking about getting um, permits to actually go out and and kill fawns to to do tests on those to see what's oh, going serious. on and this is all yeah. on this island that you're talking about yep 
Yep. So there, I, I was actually asked if I was willing to do that, be the baby killer, but <laughs> I don't really know if I'd be able to. Oh, that would be horrible, eh? There's it would be a horrible thing. And then, oh, having to go out and kill those. Jesus. But you almost can understand. Re- almost, <laughs> almost reminds me of Africa when I shot a baby bushbuck. No, it, was, it, <laughs> it wasn't really a baby, but it was a small one. I sort of, um, is this your trip now that you've just done? Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Well, yeah. I, I want to get to that. Um, so yeah, yeah. We, we definitely need to touch base on this again because I, I want to learn more, more myself. But since yeah. you bring up Africa as part of your um, as part of your studies, although I'm sure it was just a pretty good excuse to go over there and do some hunting myself, <laughs> um, you've just been was it Zambia you went to? Yep, yeah, it was. That was Africa for the first time for you, if I'm not mistaken. How much did it blow your mind? No, it was really awesome, eh? It was really, it's bit, like the first thing that hit me was just the the contrast to to our society and the Western world. You know, the poverty and and all that. Um, and getting to learn the daily, like the wage they get. I mean, they get they have a daily wage of, I don't know, ten days of their ten days of work amounts to a one hour of what I can, you know, earn. So it's just crazy, and. Um, so you get really appreciative. I've become really appreciative. But you see, I mean, these people live in in the society, in the in the poor society, and, and all they see is poverty around them. So I suppose it's it's they don't know of I don't know they they only know the reality they live in. So I think they're pretty, you know, you know what I mean. It's not like they go around and sad all the time because they're normally pretty happy. It's a little bit more of a subsistence lifestyle there though than mm. than, than we have certainly. Yeah. There's much less and pop I into actually, the shops. Yeah. And I can I can like I'll tell you, I wouldn't mind living a simple lifestyle like that. I mean I, I wouldn't mind eating something else and just maze me <laughs> maze me all the time but uh Besides from that, I mean, living a simple lifestyle sort of appeals to me as well. So that, that's yeah, the primitive uh, hunter in you, right there. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but what were you doing there? Tell people a little bit about that, because I, I saw just from the few pictures that you put up that you were doing some game capture, and I did some yeah. uh, quite a few years ago now, and I remember just mm. being just so in awe of of the operation, and the first time that I started to. Know, probably fif- more than 15 years ago really start to learn all the species which it, it, yeah. it's such a long list compared to what we have here yeah, it's a pretty big you- it's a <laughs> yeah. pretty big list how did you find that so again the the species or yeah well the, the whole thing i mean you were, you were doing game yeah. capture which is on a scale in africa that we just it doesn't really exist without with the exception of a few small examples in europe yeah, uh, yeah. and then on no, top of was- that you got all these brand new species for you yeah, no, it was pretty crazy. Like a lot of the bush actually reminded me of northern Australia, so it, it seemed kind of uh, familiar. Uh, but then again, like you said, you've got this ton of species that we're just not used to, and it was just amazing getting to see all these different species that you've only seen on the on the screen, you know, and um, and just being able to you know stalk them and, and get to know them, it was amazing. So, what was um, the, what was the work that you were doing there from a veterinary perspective? What was the training you were doing? S- so he was the guy I was with down there, Neil. He was um, they're doing game capture sort of half half the year in the season. They can't do it in the warm weather because the the animals will just overheat and uh, and die from that, die from stress. Um, so they do it in the cooler months. And um, so they're going out. They're taking out like they get orders in from from people that want to buy these animals to their game farms to to raise numbers. 
And um, so they go out and actually just transport animals from one farm to the other, basically, and, and sell them. So uh, it's just a way of um, managing populations, I suppose, like uh, private private people doing that. Because other than that, I mean, with, outside of the farms, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of, of animal activity going on. Like the helicopter guy... Um, he uh, he flew for an hour and a half down to this private farm that we were catching animals on, and he did not see one wild wild bit of game going down there. That was in the helicopter for an hour and a half. I mean, and it just I mean, thirty forty years ago it would have been it would have been completely different. But now as the populations have grown from three to thirteen million, you know the people just um, there they want the meat. Yeah. I don't I don't really I don't really blame them, you know and. I suppose that's just the way it goes when poverty and a lot of people come out and yeah, so that's what happened. Yeah, it's hard to talk about conservation when people are hungry. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's it's hard to say don't kill the wildlife when you're starving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's an interesting it's interesting what you bring up there which is that and it's on another on another level when you go over the border into South Africa because there's even more large private farms and they kind of butt onto one another and they're all full of game. But they're full of game because they're purposely full of game and there is big fences. And, okay, we're talking about farms, which is what they call them there, which anybody in the UK might be frowning at slightly, but it's farms on a on a very big scale. I mean, you you could be talking, hmm. you know, five thousand hectares for yeah, the a one farm. I was on was, yeah, yeah, the one I was on was seventeen thousand. So well, there you big go. Scale. Yeah, and um, yeah, you've got people, paid people, protecting the animals with, with firearms. I mean, there was poachers, poachers killed while, while I was there, and it's a weird, yeah, it's a weird situation being in, you know, and um, you know, I I can't for some some at some like. For, it's hard to blame the poachers going in there, you know what I mean? For some, like, to some extent. I mean, they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the... All they, they've got is poverty and they want to make a living, whatever. You don't know the situation this poacher's in. I mean, he could be, he could be, you know, struggling with his family. A lot of people die from starvation still, so... I mean, <clears throat> who wouldn't save their wife to go in and kill a kudu, you know? I mean, that's the question you've got to ask yourself if, if you're going to really blame the, the poacher or or society as a whole, how it's, you know, you don't necessarily have to put a blame on someone, you know, you just got to realise this the way it is and, and don't put the, the entire blame on the poacher. I mean, I've just seen in forums where people like fucking hang this hang this dude or cut his nuts off or something, it's just, ugh. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's very easy for us on the it's outside to make sweeping sweeping statements and we all understand that poaching, indiscriminate poaching is is not good in whatever form it takes because the wildlife is coming second. But as we've already discussed in the last few minutes, it is a very difficult situation. Would you not take something if you were, if it was kill something you're not supposed to so that you can eat or don't, <laughs> if that's your choice. And then I, there's also a scale of poaching on top of that. There is the, the meat poaching which is for survival, but then there's also the the market meat poaching, which is on a bigger scale, and then beyond that, you've got your like right at the top end, you've got your rhino organized your, your ivory, which is yeah. yeah, big money organized gangs. Um, so that there is a whole spectrum within that, and I think probably the reality is that the poaching for the table 
for individual people's table, probably if everything else wasn't going on, wouldn't make any difference. The problem is you've got that along with the market poaching, along with all the other mm. types of poaching yeah. for ivory and rice. Yeah. So it compounds a problem, whereas it would probably go yeah. under the radar to some extent if you yeah. didn't have the other issues. Yeah, I suppose the rhino and the elephant poaching is is the hardest one to, or, or the most, um, yeah, is the hardest one to, to deal with and the most pressuring one or, or mm. how can you say? Did, did you talk so, to the guys about that out there, the, the rhino and elephant oh, poaching? A little bit. They didn't have to do a whole heap with it, but, I mean, the the government sort of seems corrupt as well. <laughs> I uh, think also most, most the, of them <laughs> seem that way. <laughs> yeah. Also, in regards to like deforestation as well, like China builds an airport in in Sampi in, in Lusaka, and then they get to just you know deforestate. Sampi's got the highest deforestation rate in the world right now. I didn't and, know that. Um, yeah, wow. and so they're taking this teak tree for no money and exporting it, and yeah, horrible. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, I didn't. Well, I, I was well aware that. You know, China um, have their claws deep, Basically deep in into the continent of <laughs> Africa, but uh, I didn't realize the level of deforestation going on in Zambia right now. That's an interesting one. I'll have to look into that a bit more. And it yeah, is it, you. You'd been to Zambia as well, wasn't it? Yeah, but a long time ago, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A long time ago, I think before there was any kind of Chinese influence there. Um, and it yeah. is changing the landscape. I know that I had friends. Uh, that I was in uh, the Caprivi with up in the north of Namibia uh, quite a few years ago. And he was saying to me in the last five years, um, because of Chinese investment and kind of almost like a second colonization, it's changing the landscape up there completely. Um, And I can't imagine it's going to do the wildlife very much good either. No, no, no. no. Man is ruining it, so which is why it's even more important to have hunting come in and bring the money that it that it's already doing to to conserve this wildlife. Because you really see it down there. When you get down there, you really see it. No wildlife outside of the fences, and that's just the way it is. So I just feel really privileged to be able to go down and actually just stay amongst these species and, and hunt them. And uh, no, just amazing. What, amazing. How were you um, capturing the game? Was it in corrals? Or were you darting them? So it was. We did one bit of darting, not a whole lot. Um, one electric bull, but we did. It was like building, building. They had bomas back at the private place, but then they built like this massive big cone, like sort of like a triangle out out in the field. Um, two fence lines, and then a couple three meters tall probably, and then this guy he he hurts in this this bit of wild game, whatever it is. And um, and then he makes a siren noise when he comes past these first two points and then guys run in with curtains behind the animals and close it off. And he keeps pushing them up into the, up, all the way up into the race and people keep closing gates all the way down. So yeah. I was running the gates as well. And yeah, and then when they get up in, into the into the truck, he comes up on the truck, truck the vet and, um, and sedates them. Did did you um, did you run the suicide gate the last one? Yeah, <laughs> I actually didn't. No, I didn't do that one. No, <laughs> no, it was pretty intense. No, I did did the other one, the the one before that, and so I got a bit of footage of the animals running in and a bit of footage of the animals in the cage, and it, it's actually surprising how relaxed they are. You know, when they're actually they seem so relaxed when they're in the gate, like because they don't the, the fence is so high they don't even try and challenge it. Yeah. it seems like a solid wall to them, so they sort of. They're actually pretty calm when they're with 
with the rest of the group. Um, yeah. So, but you need to handle them in a certain way to not stress them too much. And they're actually given a sedative that lasts for seven days. So, um, yeah. So they're pretty chilled for the week. They're, they're pretty chilled for the week, <laughs> having a good stoner there in the truck. <laughs> yeah, no. No, no, no. So it was what, uh, quite, what, quite the experience. What an, what antelope were you catching? A uh, harder beast. It was um, eland. Mm, that's a big it animal. Was, it was big animals, eh? beautiful animals. Um, and then they've got the impala. They did a bit of buffalo, not when I was there, further north. Um, and then what else they get? Uh, a couple more, I can't really remember. But you also had a chance to do a bit of hunting, though. It was it yeah. in the same. It was in the same kind of place that you were working. Yeah, pretty similar. Um, yeah, and it was actually on his friend's farm. So this guy, this vet guy that I hooked up with, hooked up with him through Instagram. Actually, so amazing. You, you need to you need to go watch that one because he 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 uh, darts this giraffe that's got a bit of wire tangled around its neck, and uh, his dad his dad films it, and you've got these ten guys um, running in with uh, rope around the legs of this giraffe, and it just tumbles over, and he runs in and sedates it, um, gets this thing clipped off his neck, uh, gets the antidote going, and then off it goes again, and it's been watched a million times, uh, millions and millions of times on Facebook and this and that. And, I'll have to yeah, check that out. He sold the story to the media, and yeah. They're they're a, a tricky. We darted quite a few, uh, um, quite a few giraffe, and they are a tricky animal to to dart yeah. and tranquilize and get down, and also bloody dangerous. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, no, he was pretty good at it. So uh, no, it turned out well. I rode this guy. Jesus, I want to do that. And um, <laughs> no, he'd been we'd been riding a bit back and forth about New Zealand because he wanted to hunt New Zealand as well. So. Uh-huh. And then we organised for me to come down, and he dropped me off. He ended up dropping me off with his friend, uh, Gavin, and um, I stayed with Gavin for 12 days, and I just hunted on his land for 12 days straight um, in the river, and, yeah, it was crazy. It's amazing the people you meet around the globe mm. with, with hunting as the, as the common thing that pulls people together and the amazing opportunities that just seem to unfold with great people. I know exactly the kind of... I've had very similar experiences to what you're talking about now, and it's amazing these these guys and girls who've never met you before, but hmm. there's a this sort of common bond, yeah, and it's fantastic. It's amazing it how generous people are as well. Yeah, no, completely blown by that. You know, just letting me out on his land. Yep, go for your life. <laughs> you so know, what did you have a chance to hunt? Because you got you got up close and personal with some pretty cool critters mm. while you're out there. Yeah, I think first off was um, I was I got close to baboons, probably into thirty meters. Got close to impalas into thirty meters as well. Um, then I started getting close to the bushbucks, and then I really you know put the stalk on quite a few bushbucks. And eventually, I ended up I found this really neat spot um, where I could climb a tree and uh, just sit and wait in ambush because there was heaps of good trails running below it, and uh, I ended up having a shot at, at a bush buck um, after, I don't know, three or four days or something. He was walking out at 20 metres and I was I was turning myself a bit in the tree as he came walking and I, it was getting more and more awkward in my shooting position and I tried to sort of whistle to get him to stop and then, you know, whistle a few times, he just keeps going sort of and I just released the arrow and he, 
he ducks the arrow, but my arrow is high as well, and I'm just, uh, I'm almost killing myself. But I'm, I'm just grateful I didn't wound him. Um, but it was just, my shooting has been coming off a bit lately. Like I flunked the Danish, like I had to do the, you have to do the test every five years to, to show that you're still efficient with the bow. So I, I flunked that one because, you know, because you get really nervous when you do the test, especially because it's like, if you, if you, if you flunk this test, you can't bow hunt. <laughs> it's basically what it amounts to. It's a lot to, of know? pressure. So it is. It was a lot of pressure. I, so I, I flunked that one. I can't it's, imagine. Especially got. I was just going to say, I can't imagine a dude like you, and I, I know you can shoot, I know you can shoot, and you do a lot of hunting, mm. that it's mm. at a level of difficulty that, it, you know, it's possible for someone like you to, to not pass it. Hmm. No, it's a, it's a difficult test, mate. It's, um, it's not easy. And, uh, look, I was more, I had more pressure on me doing that test than I do when I'm out hunting. Like, I can... I'm more relaxed when I'm taking the shot on an animal than I was on, on those paper plates. So it's really, it's just mental. And, um, yeah. <laughs> what is the, what is the test? What is, what is the test? Yeah. Is it like different distances and do you have to do it yeah. under certain time yeah. conditions or? Yeah. It's like, it's, you have to hit five out of six shots, which is, um, which is fair enough. Like it's fair enough. It's a, it's a good test. It's not that I'm saying it's too hard. It's good that it's hard. Um, you have to hit five out of six targets and it's roadier targets, so it's got to be, be within the vital area. So it's like a thin, thin black line of about, um, 20 centimeters in, in diameter. And so you shoot from between 12 and 25 meters on these. Um, so it's like 12, 15, 17, 18, 20, 22, 24 meters. Um, yeah. And, and it's a different test for, that's for a recurve, isn't it? No, that's for all bows. And all bows. if you pass with if you pass with the recurve, you can only recurve hunt. So now I did. I took the test with the compound as well. So now I can buy one again in Denmark with the compound. So was that? I was, I was going to ask you that because I saw you. I saw mm. you with the compound the other day in a mm. picture. Was that your motivation, or is it? Had it always been on your plan to to go and start shooting with the compound? Yeah, that was also the plan, especially now that. And this is the first time that's happened in, in, in a long time, I think, in, in the Danish history of hunting legislation that we've actually gained something in the, in the hunting, on the hunting side. So now we can hunt, bow hunt bigger uh, deer species. So fallow and red deer, we can now take with the bow and arrow, which we couldn't before. We could only kill as, as big as roe deer before. So but is, that's pretty you, epic. Do you and have so to... They've got different... Sorry, Ulrich. I no was going to say, um, is that why you are shooting um the compound because you you need the higher poundage yeah ah okay yeah you need you need the energy and you need the uh yep you need more energy that's it so there's a weight restriction on it's got to be 33 gram arrow so fairly heavy arrow and um which is what i'm shooting already like i'm shooting a heavy arrow but yeah no it's uh it's going to be pretty uh exciting and i'm going to do a, a fellow bow hunt now in um i think three weeks time and uh on a small island here with the compound so i'm getting um getting my training in to do that which is going to be yeah it's going to be pretty good it's going to be filmed for television oh really tell yeah. us more yeah well, what can you tell us yeah. about yeah uh i can tell you about it um so we're gonna it's it's like a danish tv production company they've been doing hunting tv for ages and um it's pretty well known but now they want to get a bit of bowling in it and so they asked me if i wanted to join in and and do some bowling in front of the camera and um I said yes, why not? So, um, so what's the premise yeah. of the show? Is it is it a hunting show? 
It's a hunting show, yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna be shown on Danish TV, uh, DK4. It's called in Denmark, and then it's gonna be sent to Italian and Russian and Spanish TV as well. So it's gonna get quite a large reach on it. So I next time talk- we'll oh. speak to your agent then. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yep. Go talk to them. Uh, maybe you could actually maybe you could actually come and do some filming if we um, we we might be able to arrange something. Sounds um, like a plan. Filming some barning, yep, yep, could be a plan. Because um, actually, right now we might be in need of a photographer for the Danish one. We'll see what happens. I've got another guy on on uh, online, which um, I think he might be the one doing it. But otherwise, I'll give you a ring. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. we we, we, we can do the job interview off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. No, um, yeah, that's going to be exciting. So I'll do that one for fellow buck in Denmark, and then I'll be doing one in Spain for Ibex probably. Oh wow! Which is probably going to which is going to be with the recurve, and then probably um, Africa, some place in Africa. Not sure where yet. Um, is this all for the show? So all for the show, yeah. So it's going to be four four shows of twenty five minutes each. And it's going. The four shows are going to get a reach of six million. So it's pretty. It's pretty hectic. That is nuts. And yeah, it is nuts. It mainstream is nuts. TV is it? It's hunt. It's going to be on hunting channels. I think. I mean, uh, the okay. Danish one is not really a hunting channel, but the other ones, it, it seemed like they were hunting channels. So yeah. Huh. Oh well, I mm. look forward to. I look forward yep. to seeing that. Hopefully, there'll be an English version. Yep. yep. I think they're going to. They'll be online too. Yep. So you should be able to. It's called Hunter's Magazine TV. In TV. Magazine I will look dot, it up. Hunter's Magazine TV. I think okay. that's the one, yeah. So mm. You're just about to become a qualified vet, and now you're becoming a hunting uh, film star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hunting film star, not sure. Right? It depends, depends what I go on there and do in front of the camera. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how did you find uh, shooting the recurve? Uh, sorry, the compound compared to the recurve in terms of your, your mindset, because I know we've talked about it before, not just with you on the podcast, but the the kind of uh, thinking and instinctiveness of a recurve. Mm. Yeah. Now I find that, I mean, once you've done enough repetitions with the compound, you will get into that sort of instinctive mode as well. It will just become repetition like with, likewise with the recurve, you know what I mean? The only thing is you've got this peep and you've got the sight, but once you're accustomed to that, once you've not, once you've got to know it, I mean, it's um, it can be pretty fluent. And as long as you don't, I mean, as long as you don't extend your range beyond thirty meters, it's pretty much it's pretty much just just one one two pins that you can use, and it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, so I'm really looking forward to to, to going uh, and do some bar, uh, compound barney. Because um, now a lot of times I've been like, because I was struggling a lot in in Zambia with the, both with the shooting, but also with the. No, I got close a lot of times, but it was a lot of times was I mean I got to twenty five or I got to thirty, which is just outside of my range, and I mean with the compound I could have if I wanted to probably I don't know I could have killed probably six seven, eight animals you know, so it would have been a completely different story to the recurve. And uh, I mean, I could have shot kudu. I could have shot heaps of different things with the compound. So you're not um, gonna you're I'm not gonna actually, leave the recurve behind, though. No, 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 no. The recurve is is always gonna be probably my go to. But I mean, every now and then, when you when you sort of uh, struggle and you and you're really getting hungry to get some meat on the ground, you know, you, I imagine myself picking up the compound and just getting the job done. Fill the freezer. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, for the freezer, yeah. Because you get a lot of the same. I mean, you get the stalking in as well, and you get the silent silence of the error. You get the quick clean kill where the animal doesn't know what happened. I mean, it's it. a lot is so similar. A lot is so similar to the recurve. You just need to get that much closer with the recurve, and you need to practice that much more with, with your shooting. So I'm, I think I'm going to love both, to be honest. Did you manage to stuff your face with Biltong while you were over there? Oh, yeah, mate. Oh, we did heaps of Biltong. It was awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I got back, I, I went out and did, did uh, rodeo jerky. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually eating the, eating that now. <laughs> no, it, was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you, you'd love the Biltong too. Oh, oh yeah. We, we, that was our, that was mm. our teething ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, oh. when we were kids. Yeah. The, the first thing no, I look so for when I, when I land in Africa is where's my bag of Biltong? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I brought like a kilo home in the backpack of bushbuck biltong, actually. Mm. Yeah, fed it to my friends. It was really good. Mm. So when we spoke last, uh, I asked you if you had a kind of uh, feeling of the direction that your veterinary career might take you. And you came up with a whole heap of options. But you've done a lot since we... I mean, it was probably two years ago since, actually, we you were, mm. on, you were on the podcast. And now you've mm. done... You know, you've been to Africa and you've experienced that. And I know that when I uh, did all the game capture and dehorning of rhino and uh, recoloring of elephants and stuff back in mm. our early 20s, uh, I experienced that and I thought, oh, my God, I wish I'd become a vet and headed out mm. to Africa and I did that on a daily basis because it was mm. just incredible. It was like yeah. being in the sort of the SAS of wildlife management. That's what it felt mm. like. So do, yeah. you, where, do you know where you want to go now and having like experienced a bit of that, where do you think you're going to end up? Uh, do, doing a bit of wildlife work could actually be be part of it, could definitely be because um, you get out and you, you get to, like you said, it's, um, it's a different experience. So... That could that could definitely be the guy. I mean, I think when I finish now, um, I think it's going to be because <clears throat> it's such a steep learning curve and, and all that. I think, and I've got so much other stuff going on. I think it's going to be I'm going to do part time vet work. Yeah. And uh, and then part time hunting. I mean, I'm I'm doing the doing the uh, the bowling seminars as well, showing footage and this and that. And I mean, I've, I teach hunting license courses. I write um, articles. Um, yeah, and I'm working on a on a sort of a a restaurant or game meat sort of concept um, at the moment, which is um yeah I want to do some more work on that, and I'm also going to probably be doing like a a horse a thing with horses. It's a, it's like a medical application that we I might be I'll be working on that with a friend of mine that's already a vet. So. There's a lot of things going on, which is why I just can't do full-time bit work. Um, it's nice to be busy. Yeah, it is nice, but sometimes you, you know, that's my that's my big big job is to is to be able to say no and be able to manage, you know, sort of what I get into because all of a sudden you, I just got, I just had too many things going on, but. <laughs> and I've got a girlfriend now, so that's you know, as you know, that's a. That takes a bit of time as well. So. I can't believe that there's finally you found a, a woman on this planet who can tame you. No, is that not unbelievable? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think anybody can believe so it. <laughs> no, she's she's actually doing a bit of hunting as well. She's she's getting into it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So, that's uh, really nice. It's neat, and uh, yeah, she's riding horses. So she's trying to teach me how <clears throat> how to ride horses. I fell off the pony last time we went out. So, <laughs> but we're getting there. 
and uh, one day I might be shooting the recurve off the back of a horse. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Is there yeah. not? There's yeah. a, is there not a, a world championship for doing? There is, but it's not a full size <laughs> boat. It's the one that's mini, it's mini a short one. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Ulrich. Think, oh no, I think that's aiming too high for me. <laughs> Yeah, just as a no. complete sidetrack, and because I couldn't yeah, believe yeah. I couldn't believe what I saw this morning. Just as I pitched up to work, just at the end yeah. of the road here, I see this mm-hmm. like vehicle with its hazards coming on, uh, driving yeah. quite slowly towards me on the other side. And then I see something like on the verge between the road and the fence, running. It's like, what the hell is that? And as I get a bit closer, it's a miniature pony. <laughs> and then, <laughs> this guy was trying to herd the miniature pony up against the fence so that it, he could obviously catch it and put it back in the trailer. I mean, this thing probably came up to my belly button. <laughs> it was absolutely tiny. Yeah. And it was just when you were talking about horses there, it reminded me because I'd forgotten to mention yeah. it this morning. That's how my day started. <laughs> mm. Sounds like a good start, no. <laughs> you were no, I like the horses, so... Maybe maybe I'll be working with horses as well. I don't know. Oh, well, mm. Lots, you got lots of options. lots of options ahead of you, and you're mm. you're you're yeah. still a young man with, uh, <laughs> with with a lot to do. I think I think I asked you this before, actually, but not on the podcast. When you qualify as a vet in February, that means that you can work in nearly every country in the world because a dog's a dog, a cat's a cat. Mm. Mm. Is is that the case? You- no, it's not really the case oh. because um, a lot of countries go by the accreditation of, of the states and the states don't um, give the accreditation to the Danish um, degree of veterinary. So, no, no, it's a real bummer. And it's, it's for ridiculous reasons like the, the deacon not being, um, not being a vet but being a human, human doctor and like silly stuff like... Um, in some of the causes, girls and guys dressed in the same room. You know what I mean? That seems um, weird. Like change clothes in the same room, so and then and then stuff like that. Um, but can you get yeah. it converted? And, and maybe and maybe and maybe because there's some monopoly thing. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on. But um, so I can work in the UK. I and you'd you'd think that that New Zealand would go by the UK, but I think you need to do like a big exam and you have to pay like, uh, I wouldn't know, like 10,000 quid to, to take the exam. So there's a, there's, there, are, there are definitely options, but uh, you'll need to do a bit of work on it. But I'm not even sure like New Zealand would be an option for me, but um, I'm not even sure if I'd want to work while I'm in New Zealand. I mean, I, I'd probably want to go hunting and, <laughs> and just, you know, chill out while I'm there. So I was going to say, we, we know yeah. that you don't like New Zealand at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a horrible country. Don't ever go, man. <laughs> uh, you just went. Hey, did you? Because I never seen a photo of a tar. Can you reveal to me? Did you get a tar down? Yes, I did. I did. You did. Oh, well uh, yeah. We good on you. Good on you. I've uh, I was waiting for that photo. <laughs> we, we're, we've not put them all up yet. Where there's a lot of pictures. Yeah, we barely put mm, any up. Yeah. And the, for a good reason. And the well, and the main reason is that uh, there's a big article uh based around well there's two articles in the next volume of modern huntsman and one of them is on new zealand based around that trip so as soon as um they've sort of which that's happening right now once they take their sort of selection of pictures we'll then start to put more up i didn't want to start putting up the stuff and kind of spoil the surprise of Mm. the of the imagery for that publication coming out but yeah i think we'll um once that's out we'll start to tell a few stories and stuff online with with the pictures but i I shot um a 13 and a half year old bull tar on day six of eight 
after looking oh, wow. at tar every day and um, it was just <laughs> it was something it was one of the those weird things where we'd made maybe two or three stalks onto bull tar which we thought you know could be takers could be old joseph was very and is very particular about trying to find an old bull and i said to mm -hmm. him i said look you know i'm here i, I want to tell a great story uh you know i said don't compromise anything that you would normally do for me if it means mm -hmm. that we leave without uh a tar because we haven't found something old enough then we leave without a tar so that you know wow. that's fine so we were we were made stalks into a couple of uh, a couple of bulls, but lost them just in the thick bush because you know mm. one minute they're there, then they take two steps and you can't see them anymore, and you never see them again for the rest of the day. Um, so that had happened a couple of times, and in the same valley that we had watched quite a few bulls, of which there were a couple that would have been considered takeable. Uh, we were coming out in the very very last light. Um, I think it was of day six, like I said. And just there, in this little gap, Joseph just happened to look across, and there's this bull walking across the face. And he knew even without lifting up his binos, he's like, that's the bull. And he sat down, quickly got his um, scope out so that he could, uh, his, his telescope, so he could have a quick look at the head. But he almost didn't need to do that. And by that time, I was already kind of unfolding the rifle and getting into position, waiting for him to confirm to me that it was the right animal to take. And... It wasn't far. It was about 100 meters or a bit less, oh, just on the other side of oh. this face. So, you know, Jeez. as far as rifle shooting goes, nice and close. Hmm. And typical of tar, up the steepest, iciest friggin' loose face of boulders that you could possibly imagine. And now yeah. in the dark yeah. with headlamps on, we have to go over hmm. to just go and check him out and get the guts out. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, and 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 that was it. You know, but I'll, I'll put up the experience. pictures. He was wow. incredible. It was, I mean, you've seen tar, and to me, I didn't really know what to expect. I'd seen plenty of pictures of them, much like I'm sure you did before you went to New Zealand and saw them mm. for the first time. But when you see a mm. bull like in the distance, especially in the snow, it's like watching mm. a bear walk across the mountains because mm. they've got that massive mm. flowing so mane. It's just. Mm. Oh, they're incredible. I, they're, I'm definitely taken. I, I'm a little besotted by tar now. They've got under my skin. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, they're a so. special animal, man. Well, well done. Good on you. Day Thanks. six out of eight. Day six out of eight. That that's um that's the good feeling, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You know, it means it means so much more when there's been a lot of thought and consideration put into it, and we. Day one. And that's not easy. I mean, you hunted in winter. That's yeah. not easy. <laughs> the, the, the snow was up to my nuts when I was walking through. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> the weather was good, but the snow was up to my nuts. But wow. we were spoiled a little bit because on day one, we got into camp, we, where we were sort of setting up base camp. So we got in and we thought we just had enough time to like walk over this ridge and just have a look. And I, I was keen to sort of see in the hunting grounds. So we walked over this ridge and almost immediately Joseph spots... Sorry, I just got distracted because that was a really sore bite from my puppy on my hand. <laughs> no, you mustn't do that, Torrin. Come on. Um, we popped over this ridge, and then we see a couple of chamois. And there, mm. there was a, a ram there uh, with some females, and they were kind of just milling around. And it didn't look like one that we were going to shoot, but I thought well, we might as well get in, and I'll get some footage, maybe take some pictures, and let's just get in close to them. So we, we did that uh, and got in on this bit of a, a scree slope. 
and the the ram came right up to us and eventually he was inquisitive he must have been five meters or less from me wow uh, and unfortunately i couldn't do both photography and film so i had the film camera in my hand so i've got some really cool film in slow wow. motion of him walking but his face fills the frames you can see his <laughs> eyelashes he's that close wow wow so that from oh, you know, that set it up for me yeah no the special animals special terrain well well done man so yeah, I'm you can tell you can tell that. I'm still a little bit excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the footage. When is it coming out? So uh, the film on New Zealand is going to come out with uh, around the time of Volume Two of Modern Huntsman, which is going to be in the next month or so. Yeah, next month. Hmm. Sweet. So there you go. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, can't wait. When's your next trip to New Zealand? You must be planning one. Oh, oh I can't really be planning. Um. Uh, not sure, eh? Maybe. I'm hoping I might be able to get time in the, in the raw. In the, yeah. You, you know but you're going to have to that, take that, your girlfriend that, this time, right? Yeah, yeah. No, she's, she's actually pretty keen to go. So um, I might take her after I've done a bit of hunting, you know, just, cause I, just so I don't drag her around too much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think she'll be coming um, at some point. Um, but I might be doing the TV show as well when I finish um so i'm not sure if it's going to be spain straight after so i don't know could be could be going into the into new zealand winter our summer kind of back to new zealand i want to i really want to hunt the red stags in the raw when i uh yeah do you know that um, one of the one of the the sort of strains of wild red stags that they've got there came from just up the road from where we live in scotland no yeah i knew they came from from europe but no I can't oh. remember where the other group came from. I think they were more parks, but uh, from down south or maybe over in Europe. But certainly one of them came from Invermark Estate, which is about 14 miles from where we're sitting right now recording this podcast. Wow. That's crazy, eh? Yeah. Globalization. Mm. That's amazing. Now, you were um, recently, and when I say recently, in the last six months, you put up some pictures. I think you were stalking roe deer in a forest somewhere that looked absolutely incredible where was that hey not sure uh, could be france yeah france it was in france yeah yep 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 i was uh down with another vet doing some vet work with him and uh he was a bone as well crazy skilled photographer as well like i mean he's um he's done some out of this world photography of wildlife and uh we started talking as well about hunting tan shem in new zealand because he, he's done that as well and so, um, yeah, he invited me down to come and, and stay with him. I ended up staying for three weeks, I think. And then we, um, yeah, we did some vet work and um, I drove around with him. And, um, yeah, we went hunting on this private reserve for, uh, for Robux. And uh, I managed to get a Robux on the, on the third, third day of the hunt. So, and I got it on film and, no, it was beautiful. 13-meter shot, sort of quartering on and, uh, yeah. No, that was crazy. I did not think because we only had three days in that reserve to get it done. So, and it was the last night, so it was really the final hour. I got it done. So, I can see a common theme here of you going away to do work as a vet and then yeah. and then tagging hunting yeah. on the end of it. Yeah, no, I'm trying to puzzle everything together. No, it's working out pretty well. And you know, him and I, we had so many things in common. It was crazy. Eh? It was everything from work to relationships to 
both of us lacking the the similar teeth in the in the freaking mouth. Eh? <laughs> it seemed like no, it seemed like we yeah, it was crazy. Cut from the it same was really cloth. Crazy. Hey, cut from the same cloth. Yeah, yeah, it was weird, but um, yeah. So he might actually be the one coming up to to film the uh, the fellow buck hunt that I'm going to do. What's, so, but we'll um, probably be doing some more filming. What's the hunting like in France? The only hunting I've done in France was for boar, and it was just like on a private, a fairly small private farm. Yeah. So I don't know really much of it, but that was private as well. I mean, you, I'm sure you, there's public land hunting as well, but I think uh, most of it might might be private. Um, but it, yeah, it was a private reserve. They had the tags for it, and um, yeah, so we could just go out and uh, bought the tag, and we could go out and kill a roebuck. So turned out pretty good. Yeah. I, I guess it's quite fairly easy because you don't need uh, a license going in and out of countries for your bow, unlike a, fo- yep. a rifle. Yep, the bow is uh, is just it's easy to take. Same with Africa, you don't need the license. You just need a hunting license. So, yeah, you need the license yeah. to actually hunt, but taking yeah. the actual weapon in and out is is all good. Yeah, well, that's yep. that's, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. No, it's it's too easy. It's the hunting part that's not so easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely, <laughs> but, uh, definitely. No, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Yeah. So, are you are you now just uh, is your head just in the books right now? Yeah, I'm. I'm reading these articles, trying to get into the because we didn't have a lot of bacterial gut microbiota in the in the actual studies so now it's just reading up on a lot of articles a lot of background books and um before we actually start doing taking samples and and writing stuff so um yeah we're going to find some sources and a whole heap of stuff and then we're going to do the the actual looking through the microscope and and all that sort of stuff and puzzling it all together so you you got to behave you got to behave right now you got to actually do your work instead of going out hunting yes Yes, I, I was actually pretty close to buying tickets to go to the States to hunt elk, but <laughs> it just, I, it's, I mean, we'd only just gotten started and I couldn't really justify because I'm, I'm, I'm riding this thing with another guy, one of my friends, and um, I couldn't really justify leaving for, for two weeks or 10 days or something right when we'd got st- gotten started. So, And I'm going to do some more hunting, like I'll go to Germany for a driven hunt for three or four days and... I'll go do, yeah, I'll do some other hunting, so, here in Denmark, so it's not, I'm not going to be completely without hunting, I just can't really take the long one, so. Was that supposed to, good. was that going to be uh, public land elk hunting, or what's your hookup yeah, there? Yeah, 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 no, that, w- that would have been probably on the coast of Oregon, um, I've got a friend over there that I hunted elk with as well last time, so he, he, he offered me, because he m- might not have had the time to go out hunting, um, he actually just got an elk on the ground, which is so awesome because we spent a lot of time there last time running around and we only got close like once or twice and barely barely even seen the elk. So it was really tough going last year, but it seems like this year's roar is, or rut is, is, um, is, is kicking in a bit better. So yeah, I would have loved to, to have gone there, but hey, another another time. you got Can't next year. Anything, so. Yeah, I've got next year. And the next one, I'm definitely uh, I'm hooked on the elk as well. I mean, so big animals. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss them <laughs> like the bush buck. I don't think it will be like a big target. Just yeah, hopefully. Well, so what's the uh, what's that experience like heading out for elk? Because I've seen it 
I've read a lot about it, but I've never been to North America. It's it's very, mm. very high on our list, and it is happening imminently, but it hasn't happened yet. So uh, I remember I asked you about New Zealand before I, I went there, and you, you suitably enticed me. So t- tell us <laughs> a little bit about um, elk, because it is like the... It's that one of those North American species that everybody holds up. It's almost like the kudu yeah. of Africa, isn't it? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. The elk is pretty special, especially because you expect a different sound to come out of it than, than what really comes out of it. <laughs> it's pathetic, but, isn't it? <laughs> nah, in saying that, in yeah. saying that, no, it's when you. But when you listen to it in real life, you can you you feel the the power that's behind the yeah. uh, the bugle. You know, it's just a different noise, and it's it's really big. It's massive. Like the bugle is just can be really really big and so it is a different noise than what you can tell from the computer um yeah but a lot of very similar to hunt like the the red red deer in the raw um like you get you have the advantage of calling them in but i mean it's a, it, it can be an advantage you but you can also i mean fuck it up if you if you call the wrong set of calls and whatnot um it's just not as simple as it may sound like. And the country's so big and I mean hunting public land is just hit hit or miss, you know what I mean? It's nothing's guaranteed on, on the public land, so another hunter could have been there, could be there at the same time and you just gotta find another spot, whatnot. So But once you get close it's just oh the hair on your neck just rises and you just oh it's so it's like going it's really like going back in time where you just it's so um it's so primal. When you hear that scream and you oh, you forget everything else, it's just, it's amazing. It was amazing getting close, but we never got a shot off. So, yeah, I'm definitely going back. How far were you from like a, a track or a road or your sort of the transport that you used to get wherever you were going? Mm, probably 10 kilometers was the most. So you just sort of, but that, do you drive and then track in? Is that how it works? Or? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the time, we actually, you could drive all the way into elk country. So you'd be able to, to hunt like straight off the vehicle, actually, and just do day hunts like that. And we did a lot of that, just day hunting out of the out of the vehicle, sleeping in the tent next to the vehicle, but being able to bring, you know, massive amounts of food. And I mean, doing it that way makes you more mobile. So you'll be able to move if the area isn't, if you find the area to not be productive. And you'll find out pretty soon if, if if there's any shit around or fresh sign. And so that's that's um that's one thing that's good to be able to do, like move spots. Um but I wouldn't I would really like we did a bit of backcountry as well where we hiked in and stayed for three, four days and um and hunted an area, which um is my actually my preferred one. But that sort of that's better if you know the area in advance and you know this area is going to be productive. Otherwise, you could be wasting a lot of energy and a lot of time because the time frame where the elk, you know, really are into the main rut is like, I don't know, probably a week. And then it's and then it's just different again. So tactics, the tactics you use, they change with the what time in the in the rut you're um, you're hitting it in the bugle when you when you're hitting it. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of you can go into the elk 101 site. They've got a lot of information in there on okay. uh, elk hunting tactics. This guy, uh, what's he called? Um, he's a really, he's a, I think he's a world champion of elk calling, this guy. Um, what's his name? Anyways, Elk 101 is a good page to, to get some information out of. Did, mm. Were you practicing your bugling before you left? Before you went Yeah, over? I was. Every, yeah, everyone was hating it around me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I was standing out uh, on the on the veranda on the porch and just bugling. <laughs> no, it was, I don't even know if you can call it a bugle, but I mean, <laughs> it got better and better. But hey, it's it's a lot different. But um, I think actually, um, you'd be better off trying to get a good being good at cow calling okay. um, than actually actually making the bugle. And then there was only one bugle that I tried making. And there was a, a bugle called ca- Bull Calling Cows Bugle, BCC is what they call it. And that's basically the, the bull talking to the talking to the female. So imagine this guy, his name is, uh, what's his name, Joel Turner. You'll be able to look him up and, and see him explain it as well. Um, so he explains it this way that if you imagine you're going into a bar and you wanted to get into into a fight with, with one of the guys in the bar, you don't, you, you could go up and you could say to this guy, hey, what's up, you whatever give him an insult and he might just wave at you and say fuck awful but the the surefire way to get get the response that you need is to go to the guy that's for sure with with his girl in the bar and you go up and you just completely ignore this guy and you only talk to his lady you know and you just you don't just talk you talk real dirty to her you know and and that's that's the way to to talk to the elk apparently if you want to call in this this big herd bull because his only way to to respond to that is to come to you and and so that's what what what's going to happen is you're not going to be hunting the elk the elk is going to be be hunting you when you fire that one off (laughs) and and that's and that's your style anyway so it suits you well right (laughs) that's that perfectly suits me yeah being a real offensive (laughs) (laughs) no no, it was. It, it, I loved the way he explained it. Eh? It's, it's so funny. Eh? So, so what you need to do is to get really close. You need to get close uh, because otherwise he might have the response to take the girls away. But if if you're like within eighty meters, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna probably most likely come to you, and he's gonna come puffed up, stiff legged, and he's just gonna be only looking for that ball. He's not gonna be like if you call him in with a with a cow call or with a with another bull just talking like a bull does he's going to maybe like come in inquisitive and be searching and so this way is going to keep him in and he's not going to be as focused so that's the best chance you'll have to to get into the to get the herd bull to come to you i'm almost getting goosebumps yeah. just thinking about because the the red rut mm. is not far away here now and i can't wait to hear the first roars i i, I believe oh, one yeah. or two have already started to roar but um the the bulk of it hasn't yet and that for me just oh it just gets me going and the way that you've you just talked about it there i can i'm 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 putting the what what i know about red deer onto an elk in north america and i I think i have a a vague picture of what that must be like in person and it sounds epic yeah and then it's just twice the size of the animal you know with the elk (laughs) So, it's a lot of meat to take no, out. It must if, be if you were backcountrying oh. it. It's a lot. You'd have to do a lot of trips yeah. out to get all that out. Yeah, yeah, in and out, in and out. That's um. Or if you're Cameron yeah, Haynes, um, you probably just put the whole thing on your back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You, need, you need to hit the gym a bit more to be able to, to carry amount the, my, <laughs> the amount my, that man can. My, I think I've uh, spent enough time in the gym to realise I'm never going to be Kim Haynes. I'm just going to be skinny, <laughs> skinny dude running around breaking my legs. <laughs> no, Ulrich, no, I'll ju- I'll just do more times. Mm-hmm. It's been awesome to speak to you again. Uh, I would happily speak to you for another hour, but I know that we've interrupted your dissertation writing, and I don't want 
in whenever you said you have to hand it in February, I think, uh, you to <laughs> let me phone me up and said, you know, you've been distracting me with Facebook messages, and I had to come on your bloody podcast, <laughs> and now I haven't got my dissertation in on time, and yeah. so I don't want to be responsible for that. So I'm gonna <laughs> thank you for coming on once again, um, telling people about your your antics, which is. I think you're going to have a lot of jealous people because <laughs> sort of trotting around the globe, experiencing the best of what the world has to offer. I mean, that's what it's all about. Mm. I mean, I've, I've I've been yeah, I'm I'm pretty lucky, but I'm also like every time I get on the plane, I'm like, fuck, should you really be doing? Like, I'm I'm starting to think about global warming as well. Like, that's a thing in my head right now. I feel bad every time I take off in a plane. I seriously do. I I quit I quit eating beef now because of it. Have you really? So, yeah, I have. Yeah, hmm. I quit eating beef, and I'm probably going to maybe quit eating other stuff as well. So, probably never wild game. That's not going to be. So, I think I think you'll become more appreciative of the red wild game meat you eat when you when you sort of when you don't get it from the beef. So, as well, that's another one. Um, yeah. So, now we'll see what happens. You need but you, did, will, you, you need to buy probably, a plot of land, and then you can plant yeah, trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> plant trees and, and and keep flying around like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like a crazy yeah no not easy but it's um it's hard to give that away now that i've i've tried it i mean i might be slowing down once i settle down a bit you know so. yeah yeah once you settle down i i can maybe <laughs> maybe when you maybe when you're so old you're forced to slow down you'll settle down <sighs> Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I I remember the the even younger Ulrich, and I, it hasn't got better. It's got worse. <laughs> <laughs> it has. It has gotten worse. Worse. Yeah, it has. No. Good, man. Thank you, guys. Well, Thank take you guys it easy, and we'll me. speak to you soon. Yeah, we'll stay in touch, bro. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the show. That's it for another two weeks. Don't forget that you can. Listen to the show on many different platforms. Just find the right one for you. Uh, right now, Spotify is one of the, the, the best ones going, so get on to that. Super easy to yep, use. Super easy to use. And uh, if you would like to contact the show, it's podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. Follow us on social media. The Instagram we are very active on, so it is pace underscore brothers and uh, tag us in pictures and send us messages and comment and we do look at all of them on instagram so just uh yeah use that one and on facebook podcast into the wilderness i think that's what the page is called yeah. and then we also have another podcast yeah. page which is just our pace brothers page yeah which is non-podcast related stuff but if you like the podcast you'll probably like what's on there too indeed if you want to read the modern huntsman or order it then we are currently still taking pre-orders for the first batch that comes into the country and it is on our online store which is all the w's all the w's which you know uh the and just click on shop and you'll see our other products there, which uh, in the next few weeks, we're waiting on our design to come, to come back. From, she's, been from on she's been on holiday. So uh, we're waiting for her to come back. And then her big task when we come back is new products for the shop. Uh, and yeah, All in time for Christmas. All in time for Christmas. So we're going to have some new things out for in time for Christmas. Uh, we've actually just ordered a new load of coffee because I just noticed yesterday when we were shipping out coffee that the ghillie was almost sold out. So we've got more coming. If you haven't tried our coffee and you like coffee, get on it. Yeah. Because we also give uh, a pound of every bag goes to con towards conservation with a ghillie. It's salmon and trout conservation um, 
yeah, just salmon trout conservation, of which there is also a Scottish arm. And for the McNab, it goes to the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust. Yep, and we are constantly reviewing how we can make everything cheaper. So today, I got a phone call back from the Royal Mail six months, a whole six months after I put in the inquiry. Efficient. Very, very efficient. Very efficient. He did apologise for the delay, and I was like, oh, that's okay, it's kind of forgotten that you even existed, but... Um, and we're trying to sort out cheaper mailing so that we can pass on the, the savings for you, because the cheaper we can send it, then, yeah, the better for everyone. Uh, we have about... 20 to 30 issues of volume one yeah. in the country at the moment of modern huntsman and but uh, they're they're going that like we're every, getting every, every week day we're shipping stuff yeah out. so i mean the last week it's basically been a daily thing the been orders of modern huntsman so they are just going so if you've been thinking about it for a while and you haven't done it yet i'd get on that Quickly. Um, we will be placing another order so that we... Because as it comes up to Christmas, if you've enjoyed Volume 1 and you enjoy Volume 2 when it comes out, it's going to make a great Christmas present for somebody as well. It is. It so is. we're pro- we're going to try and do some bundles of Volume 1 and Volume 2 together as it comes up towards Christmas. So if you were thinking about what the hell am I going to get a certain person... One Huntsman. There you go. Done. Buy them together. Yeah. Save on postage. And we'll even do something, we'll we'll do a bundle deal with it as well. We haven't quite worked that out yet, but I'm sure we'll be able to do a, a bundle deal. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be able together. to do something. For Christmas time, we'll do yep. a, a, some kind of a bundle. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. And that's it. Don't forget to enter the competition for the CZ doormat, which I know that all you want. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again in two weeks. Bye.